Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Pretty good, mate. I'm uh, very excited about this episode. We've got a very special guest. And this is a podcast I've been wanting to do since we last had him on. So this is great. This is going to be good fun. Yes, today we've got uh, neurophysiologist Dr. Alan Pierce back on once again after his uh, spell on uh, the SBS show Insight. How are you going there, Alan? Hi, guys. Yeah, I'm really uh, glad to be back on. Now, we promised to give you more than two sentences on this show. <laughs> uh, depends on how much editing you do post uh post recording <laughs> we're, we're we're editing as we speak um, absolutely none so a little little bit more freedom this time than uh than getting chopped chopped out <laughs> absolutely absolutely um now if anyone who doesn't know insight did a special i think it was last week um where it was on footy concussions and they had a few players on there talking about um you know, their post-career and stuff like that. And there are a few that stood out that were on there, which had kind of been forgotten in the rugby league world anyway. And one of them was uh, Brett Horsnell, who played for a uh, throughout most of the 90s, to be honest. Um, and his health has deteriorated pretty savagely. And uh, there was quite a few other players on there. Ray Price was one who had a good old whinge about the referees. Steve um, Mortimer, he was another one. Steve Mortimer, he's actually been quite a balanced one. Um, but there was a consistent theme among them all, and that was uh, long-term memory seems to be okay for most of them. Short-term memory is either going downhill or it's deteriorated to a point where it's completely ineffective. Um, and a lot of them have got a shortness of temper. And then there's a range of other things after that. But would these be the two key things that stand out as far as um, people with CTE would have? It, um, yeah, probably in short, yes. Uh, it, it, I guess it also depends on what stage the uh, the CTE is at. So uh, CTE at the moment is currently classified across four stages. Stage one is being the sort of the, the early uh, stages which actually show no um, symptoms through to stage four, which is pretty much uh, mimicking um, Alzheimer's disease and you have a lot of degeneration of the brain. So across stage two and stage three, you get sort of, uh, and it depends also on, on the age of the person, but uh, stage two and three, you'll get the, the mood swings, the loss of short-term memory, um, possibly some movement disorders um, and, and irritability uh, coming, you know, sort of across generally speaking, but but people will have slightly different symptoms, um, which is kind of individual in nature. And, and the severity of, of how those symptoms are too can tend to be a bit individual, um, you know, so some, some of the guys can be a little bit more irritable, whereas others are, are probably a bit more depressed or some of the uh, some of them are struggling with memory, but others are, are, seem to be okay with their memory. So, yeah, that, that's what makes this issue so difficult because it's not just a clear-cut, um, uh, how do I say, stereotypical symptom progression. Yeah, because, in, I mean, in the United States, when they started to really focus in on CTE, it seemed as though 
it was the extreme cases where you'd get a player would retire and within six to eight years, they would have the extreme mood swings, a lot of violent episodes, a lot of uh, dependency on different substances and things like that. And it seems as though as time has gone on, that what is being classed as CTE is changing a little bit now. So like mm. last night when I was watching the Insight program, it was interesting because most of the people that were on there that were talking about some symptoms and, and obviously we've got to say that none of them can be completely diagnosed with CTE until there's a, you know, input, you've got to do a post-mortem when you actually look at the brain itself. Mm. Um, so a lot of the people last night, they might all have CTE, maybe none of them have CTE, we don't know. Um, but it seems as though they were older than what the initial cases of CTE were, where it was like 30 to 40-year-olds because they had extreme cases. Now there's the – because I've never heard of there being different levels of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, you know, it's it's hard – sometimes it's hard to compare the Australian experience to the United States experience because we're still so far behind mm -hmm. um, and – uh, with the American experience, you know, they've got a bigger pool of, of um, American football players to to draw on. And um, I think also the fact that, you know, and a concussion is still a concussion and, and head trauma is still head trauma. But, um, you know, you're looking at, at American football, which is very much collision-based using the helmet. So um, you can see the characteristics of American football and it's still happening now, even though they're trying to um, penalise helmet versus helmet contact. But you're still seeing, um, even even in the last week, I think there's been a few that came through Twitter on showing um, uh, purposeful helmet on helmet um, tackles. You know where they're using the helmet as a battering ram. So uh, I guess in the in in the American experience, you're looking at at guys who are getting a lot more intense head trauma and maybe are presenting in their early 40s as opposed to maybe what we're seeing here in Australia in their uh, late 40s, early 50s. But in saying that, um, that's still quite young. You know, as Sean Smith, yeah. who was one of the AFL players, said, you know, at 50 years of age, I've got a lot of living to, still to do. Mm -hmm. Well, the scary one for me was the, the, and I don't know his name, but the 27-year-old AFL player. Mm, that, Jack, Jack Frost. Frost. Yeah, and I mean... To me, they're the cases where, uh, you know, you wonder if there are genetic circumstances that come in where somebody is just predisposed to having, um, you know, head like having bad effects from getting getting head trauma. And they're the ones that really worry me because, I mean, he's a young man. And, and to think that in 20 years' time, he's still going to have a lot of living to do. And what effects will the head knocks that have forced him into retirement already at his such a young age, what will they have uh, after 20 years of just the ageing process on top of that? Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, you know, Jack, for example, um, since retiring, hasn't worked in a year. He hasn't been able to have the ability to work. Um and for, you know, for him, it's 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 daunting on him now, or dawning on him, I should say, that of of the implications long term. So he's he's you know also getting quite anxious about what's going on. So, but but he's also just one of over a dozen, I think, uh, AFL players um, who are sort of in the, a similar boat. And and 
and just to go back on the on the genetics, I think it is certainly there may be well a, a, a genetic predisposition that is exacerbated through the environmental um, situation. So if someone has a genetic predisposition for lingering symptoms, ongoing symptoms, potential for de degeneration of the brain, whatever the, that group of genes will be, we're still trying to work out. Um, but then you add on the the environmental um, the environment of 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 being in a contact slash collision type sports, then um, that may sort of create the situation that we're seeing. So uh, we know in boxing, for example, that the APOE4 gene is is one of the the genes that is responsible for. Um, you know, uh, ongoing symptoms and, and potential for degeneration. But from my understanding, APOE4 is not specific, doesn't seem to be uh, switched on or, or switched off, whatever the way it goes. I'm not a geneticist, so I'm a little bit outside my area. But the the effects of that doesn't seem to be anything other than in boxing, which is purely rep repetitive hitting of the head. Um, whereas, you know, in, in relatively speaking, um, football and contact collision sports like that there is more incidental hitting of the head as opposed mm -hmm. to the boxing and combat sports so from my understanding the that particular gene hasn't hasn't seemed to be implicated in what we're seeing with the football players so work is still going on in that that area to try and work out which genes they are but then you've got the and I think we might have talked about this in the previous podcast was was the whole ethical aspect of screening a player. Yeah. So if a Jack Frost was at the draft combine and they start doing genetic testing and go, well, sorry, Jack, uh, you've got this gene or this group of genes. We're not sure we're going to take you on. Um, then that that opens up a whole can of worms in terms of, of discrimination. So, um, you know, rather than what it should be used for is, okay, Jack, we've seen that you've got a you've got a, a predisposition. What we have to make sure is that if you are concussed, we're going to keep you off the side of the field for longer than what we would, you know, even if your symptoms are gone, we're going to, we're going to keep you off for longer. Um, and I, Jack kind of intimated that in the insight program where he said, you know, I, I would still play, but I would be a lot more careful now if I was playing, doing it, doing it all again, I'd be a lot more careful knowing that, that, uh, you know, concussions are a serious injury and, uh, wasn't wasn't given that sort of um, information, so we just we need to educate a bit more. That's that's where it comes down to. And players like Jack is going to be great for that, given that he's mm. he's still in his twenties and he's only just retired like, within the last eighteen months. Um, and what was it? Fourteen concussions he had mm. in right. less than a decade of playing AFL. Mm. It, it's ridiculous, um, it's right. and he's obviously not going to be the only one. Um, oh, if no, you hear no, you hear a lot of the players there that were that they had on the show and they were talking about having that many concussions over careers that spanned longer than a decade. And mm. you could see just through their stories, how severe they were. So it must've yes. been damn confronting for Jack to be sitting there listening to these yes. blokes who are all double his age and still not mm. 60 mm. and talking about That's what right. the impacts they've had. And he's sitting there going, yes. you know, shit, this is what's before me. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, another dozen or, close to two dozen players in that sort of age, similar age range from 23 to 31, 32, um, who've all retired in the last sort of couple, you know, three, two or three years uh, for the same reason. Mm. Um, the, uh, but, I know but they just get told, sorry, sorry no, I was going to say, they just get told that, uh, sorry, you've had too many concussions. We're going to have to um, retire you. 
and so you've got the double double whammy of well my brain's rooted but um and then psychological well, what do i do now I've, I've, i wasn't prepared for this do, do you think that there's going to have to be and this is down the line a little bit do you think that sports will have to get to a point where when a, a player is confirmed to have concussion um, either through something through the HIA or maybe diagnosis during the week even, that there will mandatory um, bans come into place. So I know they've got them in boxing. I think it's three months for mm. boxing. Um, mm. And because this year, even in the National Rugby League, we've seen players be absolutely switched off in games. And me and Andrew talk about this a lot. Um, and we've been like, oh, he's not going to play next week. He, he might be out for a couple of weeks. And we see them playing the following week. And it's mm. it's been a little bit shocking to, to see that happen. Do you think that there might come a point where um, sports have, are mandated that they have to rest players rather than leaving it up to the sport themselves? Yeah, that's 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 been a question sort of on the cards for probably nearly ten years now. <laughs> um, wow. So the so the two sides to the story is that if there was a mandatory time off period, based on you know evidence, you know using medical evidence to say that they should be off for at least uh, somewhere between nineteen and twenty five days, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what that could set up is a uh, a situation where players will be worried that, oh, I'm going to be sitting out for, what, nearly a month. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and, you know, get through this. You know, I'm going to try and suppress my, my responses or symptoms and, and they're going to try and, um, you know, do whatever they can to get back on the field because the players have always been conditioned to play through pain, to play through adversity, to play through um, everything, and yeah. now they're being told, "Oh, actually, you've got to sit out because you've got um, you've got a headache." And so, you know, a lot of them will say, "Well, I've played through a torn hamstring, I've played through ACL injuries, I've played through shoulder reconstructions. Why am I going to sit down, sit out for th- almost a month for a headache?" You know, and and uh, and not understand the implications, maybe. 10, 20, 30 years down the track if they come back too soon and get another one and they come back too soon and get another one. Um, and, you know, it's only the the guys that have retired early, um, you know, they look at them and go, well, maybe they're just weak. You know, that, that sort of impression, you know, which is not, yeah. uh, you know, it's not right or wrong. It's just that's just the observation that we see. Yeah. So you've got players who are trying to, to get out of it that way if there's a mandatory timeout. On the flip side, you know, what, what happens and what you see is that the player has, quote, unquote, passed the HIA or the, or the, the field, uh, off-field assessment for concussion um, and, is, and has been medically signed off to return to play the following week. And our best, at the moment, our best um, methods of assessment is a medical assessment that looks at ongoing symptoms and, and answering some cognitive questions uh, to demonstrate that their memory hasn't been affected or their concentration hasn't been affected or their balance hasn't been affected. So um, if the player says, well, I have no symptoms, I'm quite fine, they answer the questions, tick, they're able to stand on one leg with their eyes closed, tick, then the medical doctor really has no other choice but then to let them go back the following week. But what we know from from the research, and this is where the science and the clinical 
um, assessment, there's, you know, disparity between them is that we are seeing research, and I've done some myself to demonstrate that symptom resolution doesn't equal physiological recovery. So while symptoms recover and they don't show any, you know, observable symptoms, they can answer some questions on how many words do you remember, all this sort of stuff, what we see with some of the um, brain scans or some of the, the, the research I do where I, I do some stimulation of the brain and I look at how the nervous system is reacting, it hasn't returned to their baseline even 10 days after. And even even uh, a research paper that came out from a number of the um, AFL um, experts uh, about two months ago showed that um, a number of the players had uh, changes in their in their brain scans a month after. Yeah. So it you know it, it sort of makes you wonder why are we still using symptoms as our benchmark for returning players to the game or to training. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not disparaging the medical doctors. They're just going on what is currently best practice. And what we need is more research to demonstrate that we need to have objective um, markers or biomarkers, whether it's, you know, what I do with, with zapping brains or whether it's blood biomarkers or saliva biomarkers or some other objective measure to say to the, to give to the doctor to say, hey, doc, this is what we're seeing. You're marrying it up with your symptoms. Okay, you can now make that decision with a bit more confidence. Is there anything that um, the NRL, I guess, but the AFL and other sports should be doing as part of their regular testing of a player who's been knocked out that they currently aren't even looking at? Um, I think it just goes back to having more of those um, objective tests. And and we, I've, you know, one of the things that uh, you know I, I I appreciate is that we need to have more research to demonstrate their their ability to show that a player hasn't fully recovered. But that's that's where we need to be investing research and investing um, supporting research in these particular areas because um, whilst it's quite expensive in the short term, it would certainly give more confidence to not just players but to the doctors but also the, the, the spectators who, who aren't questioning, well, why is... Joe Bloggs back the week after. He was completely knocked out last week. What's going on? Um, and so then there is no questions. And then, you know, the, the, the sporting bodies won't feel um, threatened that they're being questioned on, on what their, you know, on their uh, return to play protocols are. So we really need to be focusing in on, on a lot of these scientific measures that can help the, the, uh, the medical uh, decision-making. I thought it was interesting this year that we saw Luke Keary, who had had a, a number of concussions, the Roosters basically sat him out for around about a month and, mm -hmm. and did give him that time. Um, I thought that was a step in the right direction. Mm. And I thought it might have been a, a sign that the NRL was changing the way it was going to handle head knocks. And it seems as though, and look, it's just from what I've seen, um, that it did help Luke in a, it get like get to a point where he wasn't getting those repeat concussions, mm. um, and it's something that I hope that we see happen more in rugby league. Um, one of yeah. the things we asked people if there are any questions they had, and we got uh, a couple from Nadine, who uh, she she said she'd love to know your thoughts on why mainstream media continues to stigmatise league union and AFL. 
when it comes to concussion and refuse to talk about other sports. And that leads into something I wanted to ask you is mm. are, are, are other sports, like I've heard that water skiing because of the, the you know, constant smashing against the water, that mm. water skiers suffer a lot of uh, concussion symptoms and things like that. Are there are the mm. other sports being brought into this as not just the football codes? Oh, look, a lot of sports now all have concussion policies. Um, mm. They've seen the, um, you know, football and rugby experience and have all obviously been, um, how do I say, instructed or advised by Sport Australia and the Australian Institute of Sport to make sure that they have concussion uh, policies uh, and procedures, whether they, you know, I, I, I haven't really seen um, much in terms of, of, of you know, how they go about their assessment of, say, a water skier, because I ha that hasn't really been on my radar, <laughs> to be mm -hmm. honest. Um, you know, what happens when a, when a skier is concussed and if they go back on at the next competition a few days later or, or the same day, I, I, I really don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, but um, they, they certainly all have very similar guidelines now because we've, we've uh, you know, published a paper where we kind of looked across all the most of the sports that had um, concussion guidelines, and they're all very stereotypical in terms of, of having similar wording, and, and they're just adopting, which is fine. That's, that's not a problem. I think there should be uniformity. Um, the, the question is really whether they actually, you know, do it or not. And the, the example um, that has come to the fore recently is equestrian. And so equestrian um, has had to has been put under the spotlight because over the last couple of years there's been some deaths from mm -hmm. riders falling off horses and and not the 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 um, first aid and the, the initial first response was not adequate enough um, plus also questioning about the the safety of the courses and things like that and 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 also just taking the the issue of head injuries seriously enough so a question has certainly been uh, something that has been um, talked about but the reason why you know like for example with, with Nadine's question uh, it the the focus on the on the uh, football codes is simply because they're the most you know widely talked about sports mm -hmm. so you open the paper and it's all football or rugby <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so that's where that's where all the media attention has been on because they're the ones that that um, generate the most interest um, you know in other sports there are certainly lots of concussions and I get athletes from other sports coming in for assessments and things like that um, but no one seems to want to talk about these other sports as much and so you know if maybe for for some budding journalists that might want to talk about the wider issue and, and maybe not necessarily talk about the codes, uh, the football codes. Maybe they could talk about some of the other sports and some of their um, issues as well. But whether they're able to, to get published or not, that's, that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. one, of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, like, has, have there been any links found between CTE and other physical conditions that aren't normally associated with the brain. So, for instance, when, um, and it was interesting because it was just after our, our first podcast, it was revealed that Stephen Folks was one of the two rugby league players um, who had been diagnosed with CTA post-mortem, and he had actually died of a heart attack. Mm. Um, 
now they're, they're not I'm not saying there's any link there at all, but has there been any sort of research into links that um, can, concussions, repeated con- concussions and um, symptoms from them? I mean, I've heard that there's an issue or I've, I've, I've read that there's an issue with repeated concussions and uh, testosterone levels in athletes mm. dropping. Um, are there other symptoms mm. like that that have been brought up through different studies? Um. Not that I'm aware of, but I have read some research showing that collision-based athletes do have uh, thinner walls of the heart. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, whether that's translating into, you know, heart attacks or or some sort of cardiovascular disease in terms of, of, you know, thinning of the aortic wall and that sort of stuff, uh, I'm not sure about, but... um, but that is that's something that has been sort of talked about generally. Um, that there seems to be possibly some some link there, but not necessarily linking to to um, CTE or other neurodegenerative disease. Um, there have been some, you know, uh, the odd research report or two showing, um, and this is in I think um, in America or I think. Uh, maybe possibly Europe as well, but I think more so in America, showing cases of CTE in those who've not had, uh, have not played um, uh, contact sports. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, epileptics. Now, oh, we don't yeah. know. It's because epileptics, you know, when they have their seizure, are hitting their head on the on the floor. Yeah. So, you know, that could be a, a reason for it. At this stage, it's still very strongly attributed to repeated head trauma. But, you know, again, certainly domestic violence, um, uh, other other forms of, of head trauma seems to be the, the, the key variable towards, um, you know, neurodegenerative disease. So, yeah, look, it's it's something that, you know, the, the research is still evolving and, and we're getting more and more um, research coming out on a weekly basis, particularly from the United States, because that's where all the all the investment and, and all the research is being done. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're starting to understand. But I think what we'll find is that at the moment, you know, the rates of CTE are very high because of the sampling bias. And, you know, I get yeah. that. I, I had to deal with that on the Insight program. Yeah. Um, but And we can talk about that in a moment. But, um, you know, as we get more data, we'll probably start to see the rates or the the incidence of CTE in the donated brain start to come down, but but even if it's at one percent, that is still a public health issue, even yeah. if it comes down to one percent. Whereas at the moment, I think they're talking at about sixty six percent. It's not going to be that high. I can tell you now, it'll it'll come down further um, as we get more brains. But um, you know, it's uh, it's certainly still something that we need to be concerned about, and and. Uh, and it seems to still seems to be a strong um, association between repeated head trauma and and CTE. Now, is there? I was going to say, is there um, one sport that I've thought of recently where you don't actually get physical clashes going on, but could actually have a lot of trauma on the brain, and that would be things like Formula One driving, and it's because of mm. the not even the crashes. But just no. the G-forces that the driver's yeah. brains are under going into each corner, and it'll go corner to corner, the braking. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something yeah. that could also cause CTE? Yeah, it's a, that's a hard question to answer because we, we I, I haven't seen any research um, 
quantifying the uh, amount of force going through the through the head. And that could easily be done. I mean, you know, someone just has to throw in a what we call an accelerometer into the helmets of the of the racing car drivers, the way they they do in the football players in America, and you'll get your data. Um, not so sure, you know, like yeah. So it depends maybe on the on the uh, velocity of the impact. Um, may not obviously not be as high as what you get in football, but if the velocity is coming through and shaking the brain to a, a reasonable level, then maybe there's a a question for that, but certainly, um, you know, thinking about sports like rodeo, rodeo, for example, you know, there are some significant impacts that go through the through the head and the neck when they're trying to stay on that on that bucking horse. And there's mm. been some recent, re- you know, there's been some published studies showing fairly high impacts uh, or, sort of say, fairly high forces that are going through through the head and the neck of the of the rodeo. Um, riders let alone them falling off you know that's just that's just them on the horse so it's you know it's something that we need to be addressing right across the board i've i've had ex racing car drivers come in as well but they've been because they've you know had lots and lots of car accidents and their heads yeah. hitting the the glass and all that sort of stuff and the um, other one was um uh in the test series recently in the cricket we saw steve smith missed a, a test match after copying a pretty savage mm. bouncer to the neck mm. um yep. And I suppose that that may also make people realise that you don't need to just be constantly copying blows to the head itself. It can well, that's one of from... the biggest myths. That's one of the biggest myths about concussion. So one of the biggest myths, well, several myths, but so obviously the biggest myth is that you don't need to be knocked out to be concussed. But another big myth is that you don't need to get a direct impact to the head in order to get a concussion. So any 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 sort of impact where the... Uh, force is transmitted to the head and therefore obviously the brain um, can result in a concussion. That's right. And the the one with Steve Smith, I mean, he came back and finished his his, uh, test innings the next day. Mm. But then they found after that day that his health started to drop away a bit more quickly and they he he missed the next test match because of that. Well, that's that's the third myth of concussion is that um, that if symptoms resolve fairly quickly, like it may have for Steve when he went back into the rooms and, you know, according to the press conference from Justin Langer, he, he, he you know, Justin was saying that he, he said he was fine and there was no issue and he really wanted to go back and play and there was no way that we could stop him because he didn't show any symptoms. But concussion is an evolving injury. So whilst symptoms may not show up immediately or they might show up and then they drop off, you know, half an hour, an hour, a couple of hours later, the next day, uh, symptoms can actually get worse, and so this is the one of the reasons why, uh, you know, if you're if it's in doubt, sit them out because you need to observe how they're how they how they're um going. And so, as a result of him coming back on and playing on, you know, he might have made it worse for himself just by the fact that he was in exercising so intensely by batting. He may have made it worse for himself, and that that resulted in him not being able to play the next test. Yeah, rather than needing, uh, I mean, a lot of people tend to think that the way that you're going to exacerbate your symptoms is by getting another head knock, but it might just, I mean, it can just Mm. be the fact that, you know, you're doing physical activity, you're concentrating Mm. and stuff, you don't get that downtime for your your brain to heal. Um, Yeah, and and that's the thing, like, even, like, now we we understand that um, complete rest is not the best thing, but at the same time, you need to uh, do 
just an, the right amount or the right intensity of exercise and or some, you know, um, mental stimulation. So mm-hmm. sitting in a darkened room anymore, in a darkened room with no, nothing to look at or do is the wrong thing. But but at the same time, you don't go out and do a, a fairly intense exercise session or compete, continue to compete, um, even if the risk of another head in, head knock is, is very low. Um, but, in, you know, Steve's in, in cricket, it, it's still there. <laughs> but, um, you know, by the fact that you're doing intense exercise can actually exacerbate symptoms as well. So it's very much a, um, you know, a very just light exercise is the best way to go, not not getting it back out there and pushing yourself to the limit. Well, I think the, the Steve Smith incident, sorry, mate. Uh, I was going to say, I think the Steve Smith incident pretty much showed too how frivolous, in my view, HIAs truly are. Because if someone like Steve Smith can cop a blow, not even to the head, but to the neck, and mm. be ruled out for you know a week and a half after that, mm. then a rugby league player copping a, a blow to the actual head. I know, mm. I know, you just said that it's not; it doesn't just have to be the head. But I would, I'd imagine that a blow to the head would be would have more impact and be more damaging than one to the neck to some extent, mm. especially in rugby league, mm. um, when you get to do a lot of them in a row. It shows that having a player come back on. Minutes after they've had the injury take place, I know they've got the current system. I think it's fifteen minutes. You've got to see it before you can come back on. Yeah, yep. there's no way in the world that that's enough. Yeah, that's you're exactly right. And this is, you know, and this is the reason why I sort of keep nagging about having some objective markers because if we can actually show the athlete, this is this here's your brain right now in terms of how it's working, or here's a here's a blood sample showing. Um, increase in all these molecules that are showing uh, some sort of damage or, or inflammation at the moment, the athletes tend to then respond much more positively rather than trying to, you know, what day is it, what year is it, who you're playing, um, can you remember these words? And a lot of the players will just, you know, try and do whatever they can because they don't, They again, as I said, you know, at the start, you know, they don't want to be seen as weak. They don't want to be seen as, but if you give them a, a, a physiological measure, and this is what happened with one of the studies I did back in 2015, you know, if you, I say to them, look, you can't fake a waveform, uh, you can't wake a wave, sorry, you can't fake a waveform, and you, they, they see it right on the screen in front of them, their whole, ad, whole attitude changes, and uh, and uh, even they become quite engaged with the fact, okay, yep, I see that my brain's not right, okay, good, okay, I can, I feel better now that I don't have to try and impress the coach because. Here is something that's that's um, uh, empirical, and you and, and it's not something you know. Even even uh, if we go back to the cricket example, um, is it Labuschagne who 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 uh, filled in for Steve Smith? You know, he yeah. he copped a, a couple of knocks to the to the head as well. And there was a comment that he made that you know he was doing the the HIA so often he was he was remembering all the words. Oh wow. So, and that's, that's what, crazy. you know, and, and that's, that's the thing. So we really need to be doing more, uh, you know, or, or offering the athletes something that they can then go, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I feel, you know, I feel better now that it's, uh, yeah, there's something not quite right. Similar that they would show with a hamstring injury or a knee injury or something like that, because you can't see the brain. It's inside the black box of the skull. Mm-hmm. So, so a question I have is uh, how difficult is it? to find test subjects 
that don't present with any symptoms. Because obviously, as you say, there's a, a bias towards uh, mm. right now we're getting people that say, look, I've got these symptoms. Can you please test me out? And that's going to skew the results. Mm. Um, how difficult is it to get? And we've seen uh, Peter Sterling is one player that said that, um, or former player, I should say, that said that he's going to donate his brain when he passes away to be studied and he doesn't currently have any symptoms mm. that stand out. How difficult mm. is it to get that? And also a, a follow-up question to that is, is there a, a, a sample size that you clinically have to reach to that it's almost a threshold so that you know mm. that the results you're getting aren't skewed by mm. having a certain amount mm -hmm. of people that are just the ones that are turning up with symptoms? Yep. Okay, so the first question um, is very difficult, <laughs> yeah. really difficult because, yeah, as you said, the players who say, well, I don't have any symptoms, I don't need to get tested, um, generally obviously don't volunteer their time because I think there's a bit of a misinformation that their, their – um, how do I say it? Their their participation in a research study, um, they don't see it as a research project per se. They see it as, oh, you know, I need to go and get tested for bowel cancer, or I need to go get tested for diabetes. So they don't. The, the way that they view it is is not for understanding the issue, but rather, oh, it's it's just a um, a duty that I have to go and and get tested and and not realise why they're doing it. So. I try and constantly encourage people who are, you know, who come in and say, oh, I've got symptoms, blah, 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 that's great. Now, you know, when you when you talk to some of your mates, tell the ones that are saying, oh, I'm not, um, I have no issue, I have no symptoms, you know, encourage them to come in because I need to compare them to you. Mm. What is it? Why are you having ongoing symptoms compared, you know, and, and then I can compare them to to those who are not. So, that's the uh, the strategy I try and use to to get those who are not coming in to come in. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I think just the way that it's been, um, I think just the way that it's been um, presented, you know, um, publicly through the media or otherwise, it, it's just it's just giving that misinterpretation that that players are coming in for a you know a, re a, re a regular clinical test. So that's why we have to try and encourage players to come in whether they've got symptoms or not so um it's a li little bit easier with some of the other studies i do um where i've, I've looked at ongoing symptoms which we call post-concussion sy syndrome which I've, I've published recently and and how we screen for that is we get them to do some self-reporting so i can i can look at those who are reporting with high symptoms versus those who are reporting with low symptoms and that helps out so that makes it easier to to try and um at least separate the groups from those who think that they have no problems versus those who do think they have problems um now the the second part is a little bit more um science nerdy mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh we do have ways that we calculate a minimum sample size for us to be uh confident that what we're seeing is real or not and so it what we call it is a uh a sample size calculation where depending upon the number of groups that we're measuring, whether it's two groups or three groups, and we're also measuring um, how many time points, so it might be once or it could be twice or it could be three times, we'll give a calculation on 
what's the minimum sample size that we have to have. So when I first did my study in uh, 2014 on Australian rules football players, uh, I had, you know, it's never been done before. So I really, how long was a piece of string? So I had to try and calculate mathematically. uh, We call it a priori. So before analysis uh, or before data collection, um, you know, I needed a sample size of 20 um, concussed players and 20 um, controls. So that was that was the minimum. But so mathematically, yep, we can we can do that. But um, from a uh, I guess from a, a a more public perception, a sample size of twenty is not very much at all, and it makes it really easy for criticism of the work by saying, well, you know, there's tens of thousands of players who've, who've played these sports, and you've got a sample size of twenty. So therefore, you're you're open to sampling risk. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, you know, as 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 was uh, outlined in the Insight program, for example, um, you know, if there was a hundred of of hundred people in the audience and you only picked four, or only four happened to come in by pure luck, you might have got the 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 the, uh, the lucky four that that gave you your result. And so mm-hmm. some of the a lot of them will say, well, you got the lucky twenty that that came to you because they're the ones that have got the the ongoing symptom. So, and this is one of the reasons why I've repeated the study in rugby league, um, and I've, I'm, I'm continuing to repeat the study. So we build up our our, our um, database of players. So hopefully I'll have, you know, hundreds of players rather than just twenty. And how do you Even deal like with? Yes. I was, was going to say, how do you deal with the players who, let's call them Ray Prices, mm. um, who. They they come along and say, you know, I'm I'm 66, 67 years old. If I can't be forgetting a few things here and there by now, then when when can I start forgetting it? Mm. Um, but there's going to be people who are going to have that attitude, even though they're in their 40s or 50s. Um, how do you find a way to break through that stigma of um, it's just old age compared to maybe there's something there to try and get people to sort of. Come in mm. just to have the have a scan done. Have a quick look at your brain. Let's see if there is anything there. See if there's anything any merit yeah. to it, because that'd yeah. be all tied in with that whole, you know, you're weak if you don't go back on the field after being knocked out, sort of thing. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah and that's that's the thing. So, um, you know, I offer everyone a report after they um, they come in for testing. So, you know, um, it's not a not a clinical diagnostic report. It's just a, a I call it a feedback report and let them know how they how they're going. Um, and they can choose to use that or not, you know, and some of them say, look, I don't even want to know, um, and that's fine as well. So I'm not going to, you know, force the issue. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes uh, I give them feedback to say, yeah, look, you know, your, your um, concerns of, you know, of not, there's nothing wrong with you, yep, have been um, confirmed. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the data. Um, but sometimes it comes back different and then they go, oh, oh, okay. All oh, right. You know, and then, yeah, you know, I kind of leave it with them and, and offer to, to talk to them about it a bit more if they want. So it's, you know, it's always a, uh, I think it's always a risk for the, for the players to come in, especially if they feel that there's nothing wrong with them, that there could be something, but, and that's, that's always the, the difficult part of the research in the early days. I really, wasn't sure how to address that, but now I feel a little bit more comfortable in saying, look, you know, um, this is what we're seeing. Um, I'm happy to refer you if you want or not. You know, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, I really appreciate you helping me so then I can help other, other players and yourself if need be, you know, with, with, with more knowledge.
Um, with the on on the Insight program, we saw a, a lot of different symptoms that were brought up with uh, former players, and there seemed to be this feeling and it's something that has happened uh, a lot in the last probably 18 months when this subject's talked about where people say well I'm forgetting things um you know my I've got these mood swings and things like that it's got to be CTE yeah. uh, how da- can that be damaging in a certain sense in that there's people that are turning up with symptoms that they might be able to get treated for that have nothing to do with <laughs> Um, concussion or or CTE at mm. all, but they just write it off as CTE. I mean, there were there yeah. was a lot of talk last uh, in the I was going to say last night because I watched it last night. <laughs> there was a lot of talk in the Insight program about um, d- do people have dementia in their family history? Now I've got dementia in my family history, and I, if anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I forget names really really badly. Mm. Um, mm. Andrew can attest to that really well. Um, mm. It, you know, is there it's a certain point where some some of the ways that getting CTE out there in the mainstream has been fantastic because it allows there to be more of a focus on it and then hopefully more mm. research into it. But it also mm. can skew things so that people are like, well, I'm forgetting things. It's CTE. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and that's. That's that's uh, that's been one of the I guess the negatives of of having discussion in the in the wider media about CTE, particularly in Australia, where we really have only had three confirmed cases at this stage. Mm-hmm. And as we said before, you can only confirm CTE post mortem. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and the fact that yeah, people are you know attributing maybe you know minor. Um, you know, minor things such as forgetting names um, to being something quite catastrophic, which is CTE. So, and that's the reason why we need to get more research out there because, uh, and more research going because at the moment it's, it, a lot of the, the discussion is based around, um, you know, we, what we don't know. And so mm-hmm. it's quite easy to, to just, you know, throw in, oh, well, it, it's probably CTE because I played rugby or I played football for X number of years mm-hmm. um, and we don't have uh, enough um, robust measures to be able to say, nah, look, that's, that's that hap- you know, a little bit of um, cognitive decline or, or a little bit of um, forgetting names and faces or whatever uh, happens all the time. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I have, for example, is I keep forgetting uh, particular words that I want to use when I'm talking and I think, oh, you know, that word, oh, oh, oh yeah, I can't remember it at the moment. And then, you know, I, I have to realise that, well, that's that's just the way that I've operated, you know. Yeah. So um, I think part of it is to try and get a, you know, a balanced discussion about the fact that uh, not everyone who plays these sort of sports will get CTE um, and that you can't just uh, attribute forgetting names or, or forgetting to, you know, do some errands um, through, t- you know, is it, it automatically means that you've you've got early onset CTE or something like yeah. that. So we've got to try and uh, somehow temper the, the, well, you know, I've never had any bad experiences with the media um, in terms of, of reporting and stuff. You know, what I'd like to see is, is maybe, you know, um, some of the sports – 
talking about this a little bit more. And so we do have have um, a balanced discussion and, and we can allay fears, but at the same time, keep the research going. You know, we don't want to suppress everything because then that could also create um, hysteria because people are going, well, what's being hidden? Why is, why is things being hidden? Now, the only sort of real um, kickback that I've seen has come from, I think, likes of Phil Gould, who's come out and said stupid stuff like, you know, lawyers and doctors will kill the game yeah. in the next 20 years and stuff like that. That's that's the sort of crap that, that we yes. can do without. And thankfully, right. um, mainstream media hasn't really pandered to that that angle as such. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. And that's that's the always the concern is that someone will go on a rant. <laughs> um yeah. and then and then the media will pick that up and, and run with it. But uh so far, you know, as I said, my experience is that with, with um mainstream journalists is that they've been very responsible in making sure that what they say is is backed up by facts and, and research and uh and, and they're not um trying to overstate or overgeneralize, but at the same time, I think a lot of the concern that is being generated in the community can actually be um, quelled or, 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 you know, helped out if we were able to do community regional-based seminars on mm. on this injury, because uh, especially out in you know in clubland, as I call it, and it doesn't matter; it can be in the city or, or in the regions; it doesn't matter. You know, uh, they they play through concussions. They they don't have enough information. They don't. A lot of them don't know what a what a concussion is. They don't know what to do. Um, and again, they go and see their local doctor a couple of days later, who really is, you know, tied with limitations on on their knowledge about the injury, and sign them off to say, well, you got no symptoms, you're okay. So if we can get out there and and go to um, metropolitan regions, country regions, and do a lot of uh, seminars and education, then that will actually start to drop off the uh, the over concern that their headaches or their memory, uh, you know, occasional memory loss is is a, is due to CTE or, or dementia. Yeah, and it comes back to kind of I guess the way that you look at it as well. I mean, there's been a little bit of a standoffish thought in terms of and and Phil Gould's attitudes are maybe the extreme end of it, but this um, standoffish thing of like and look, it's it comes back to the reason that these athletes are at the highest level is because they're built like that. If they weren't built like that, they wouldn't be there, and so mm. they push through a lot of stuff that they, they want to. You know, they brush a lot of things off and that's how they get to the highest level. And it's interesting that just the change in, in, and I know that even me and Andrew have talked about this after our first discussion that we had with you. When you look at concussion as um, just a, a, another injury that has to be treated and given time to heal, um, mm. you sort of look at it differently. And, and I think that what needs to happen is we need to, um, really focus on it the same way we do with like you know muscle tears and you know mm. ligament injuries and stuff like that and once that happens once you have that change in attitude towards it I feel as though you become more open to saying well instead of being like no I don't want to spend a month on the sideline or I don't want to do these tests because I just don't want to know or I mm. you know I I don't, if I've got 
if I've got CTE or dementia, I'll just go leave it, you know, because I don't want to know about it. If you sort of take a more active thing, if you take a more active attitude with it, it becomes so much more helpful to the overall health of the playing group and just people in general, because a lot of these studies can have flow on effects to the general population in terms of um, even how degenerative brain diseases are treated in general. Mm, mm, absolutely. I mean, it's, I think you can sort of just sort of say it's just men's health in general. You know, men yeah. men are still uh, hesitant to, you know, to go and get checked out for stuff because it, it, it uh, makes their, uh, you know, armour or steel armour, you know, look like they've got a, a chink in it or something like that, you know, because they're mm. going to get tested. You know, um, we've still got to change that sort of general attitude towards uh, looking after yourself as as being actually a very masculine thing to do and not not uh, be seen as weak because you're you're making sure about your um your health and and we're starting to see changes now in terms of of mental health with that um mm-hmm. and and that's great and uh, uh but we also need to you know con- get guys and and men in particular to start making sure that they they do get checked out for for other things, and that also includes, you know, if they've got suspected uh, concussions on the field, that they they do the right thing as well. And and uh, um, you know, as I try and sort of explain when I have done a few seminars, is that you know, if you if you if you are patient enough to give yourself a couple of weeks uh, recovery after a concussion, you know, this might ex- one might extend your career by four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, or two, it, it, it just means that you are reducing your risk of, of long-term outcomes as well. So, But thirdly, more importantly, you're actually going to be supporting your teammates because you're not you're going to be able to go back out when you're 100% and not at 75%. You wouldn't go back out if your hammy was only, you know, 50% good and they go, oh, no, no way, you know, why not? Well, you know, I can't run as fast, I can't kick as far or, or whatever. Okay, well, if you don't really know who you're playing against or who – who what what your strategies are because you're still not quite recovered well what does that say oh oh yeah i didn't really think about it that way so yeah exactly it's it's changing that attitude towards or awards that as something that is being you know strong yeah and and like have the attitude of look i feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof let's keep it that way for as long as possible you know, let's make sure that I stay that way by getting mm. looked at, by making sure yeah. you get the right treatment and things like That's that right. and being at your best yeah, for as yeah. long as possible, even post-career, you know. You, yeah. you want to be a, a strong 50, 60-year-old mm. and to do That's that, right. go and get tested and, and, mm. and make sure that you're on top of all of these things physically and mentally. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not here to over-medicalise the issue and, and getting tested every year or something, but at least... Uh, you know, um, after you're a concussed, you, you go through the right rehabilitation program and make sure that you're you're right to go completely before you go back on the field. But even, you know, later on, you know, maybe every – and, we you know, again, it depends on what the research eventually tells us, but maybe from the age of 40 or, or 50, if you had a history of, of uh, playing um, concussion – sorry, collision sports or, or contact sports, you know, a bit like the old uh, – poo test you know if you had a history then you should do this well mm-hmm. okay let's let's bring that in you know bring that in as well and uh, hopefully by that stage we'll have some evidence-based treatments to be able to, to maintain quality of life mm-hmm. well, that's no, that also, that's... i was gonna say that'll sound very good um the 
The episode of, of Insight you were on, just mm. quickly, I mean, the episode went for about an hour, and yeah. as, as a viewer watching it, it looked very, um, just sort of skimmed the surface more than anything else. It just looked at the players and their symptoms, but didn't really go into anything of yeah. any great detail. Is there any yeah. talk of a of a follow-up that you know of from the, the show or the producers? Not that I know of. Um, and one of the things that I... Because that's the second time I've been on Insight. So back in 2014, there was a, a Insight program on kids and concussion. Um, but uh, Insight is very much based around stories. And so there's all... I, I kind of going into into this this one i was kind of a little bit for forewarned um because i'd had prior prior experience that they would want to focus on the stories of the people rather than say a little bit more meatier discussion about the science and where we are with the science um because i think they're sort of tailoring to that particular audience that is more about you know what the stories are so um it was never going to be as in-depth as as what most of us would like <laughs> um it'll be peppered with a bit of science to to sort of inter interject with the with the stories of the of the players and their families and that sort of stuff um but i would be surprised if there wasn't another concussion episode for another probably four or five years at least okay so they're just hitting on a topic because it was a bit that's right um, topical <laughs> topical yeah that's, that's yeah and it that's probably exactly was because of the it was probably because of the the um the the, the the CTE case studies that were published about two months ago by Michael Buckland. So um, that's probably why it came back onto the radar. Yep. Well, that's fantastic. That I, I'm so glad that we got to have uh, another chat with you because our first chat was, I, I feel as that's probably the best episode we've done. It was really insightful. It's the one I know I'm oh. proudest of that we've done yeah. so far. And um, we just, oh, we feel good, very good to lucky hear. to have you on, yeah. Oh, no, well, I'm happy to talk any anytime, anywhere. <laughs> you know, like I said before with the, you know, what we were talking about is is to try and get, um, you know, a, a, a balanced discussion or at least just, just talking about it without sensationalising the issue so that people mm. can be aware of, what we need to do and where we are with, you know, the research and why we need to do more research and, and then that can flow on into, you know, education for the community. But, um, you know, and, that, and that's why, you know, and, and wanting to be completely transparent with, with what we're, where we're at with the research and, and not sort of, it's not, not something to be feared or, or some mystery about it. It's, it's really just being able to, to talk about it in a, in, you know, in a casual, in a casual sense. And funding. Yes. <laughs> what, can you tell us, what can you tell us about the funding and how, how I suppose how can how can you get more or, or yeah. you know how much more do you need that sort of thing? Uh, and how yeah. can people donate? Like where can they donate to yeah. as well? Absolutely. So you know, one of the things I guess in my research is I'm trying to be as independent as possible, which obviously is is fraught with danger because uh, you know I, I don't necessarily, and I have previously been funded by the AFL for a short period of time. Um, in 20, 
16, 2017, um, but that's another story. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to get funding through philanthropics. So, you know, if there is anyone out there who has um, an altruistic uh, bent and, and is able to, you know, is concerned about the issue and, and would like to, you know, um, donate some, some money for research, you know, a, a research project that I did, for example, with the rugby league players that we published in 2018, could be done on on as little as thirty thousand dollars. We don't need millions of dollars. Um, however, obviously, to 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 maybe you know keep me in a job for for you know to do the research as over five years, you know, hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand would would certainly help out. But even small amounts can help. And and so um, one of the the charities that has been helping me that people can donate to is called uh, Sports Health Check. Um, and you can you can um, uh, Google them online and and uh, uh, email them to um, uh, you know to to say you'd like to provide a tax uh, exempt donation to their charity who then can can help me and and you know they're, they're a bunch of advocates who've who've tried to keep sort of talking about this in the, in the in the media and the, and the community to try and um, understand that we've got to be doing more research so that that's that's somewhere there so i can i can shoot you guys a a link to um to that to that or you know to that 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 group so yeah look you know and we'll um, post it on the show notes and on the website too as well absolutely and so you know um as i said you know we can we can continue the research just by doing um, small amounts from people so so you know anything that can that can help us that would keep this research going because what we want to do is to keep the research as in partial as possible and and uh, independent so that there you know there is no necessarily um, accusations of conflict of interest mm-hmm. or bias or bias that's right exactly yeah all right well that's good if anyone wants to uh, follow uh, follow you on Twitter they just go to Alan Pierce PhD. That's right. Follow the great man there. And I'm in, on Instagram too if anyone wants to, with the same handle. On so Instagram? Instagram as well. So I've got pictures of me sort of zapping people's brains and that sort of stuff just to show people what I do. Fantastic. I'm going to I'm gonna have a look at that right now. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I need oh, to create an Instagram account just so I can check that out. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll try and get uh, Phil Gould over your way so you can zap his brain. <laughs> that's right yeah I, have to just, I think to make sure he doesn't run away <laughs> these, these well, things thank- can be arranged yeah. look thank you so much alan for coming on you are welcome that's anytime fun. if there's any new research that comes out and you'd love to talk about it i mean we're we love talking to you about all of this so thank you once again for coming on Not and speaking to us absolutely anytime so we'll probably catch up in a couple of months time again <laughs> yeah, excellent Absolutely. And yeah, if you want to follow uh, follow the podcast, you can follow us at Fergo Freak Pod. Um, anything else you want to drop in there, mate, or is that pretty much it, you reckon? Uh, I reckon I reckon we're good. Alrighty. <laughs> I'll, I'll press the stop button then. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you all next time.